Hello, and welcome to One Single Thought, the podcast where two Christian single women take theological deep dives and bring perspectives on life, mixed with levity and joy. Hey, Heather. Hey, Rose. How are you? Good. Welcome to our studio, WSC, once again, for One Single Thought. In the midst of your clothes and in the midst of my clothes they're good sounding they're good sound panels for our studio and you know one day when we get big and famous we'll say remember (laughs) when we used to record in this my closet yeah (laughs) so heather have you ever heard the adage you can catch more bees with honey than vinegar i have heard that adage and i've used it have you how have you used it most recently with my cat. Oh. But I'm not going to get into that now because we're not talking about my cat all the time. That's so, yes. right. That's right. Well, that phrase, that adage, my mom told me, taught me when I was very young about being nice to others. If you're kind and nice mm-hmm. to others, you're, there's going to be a much, much pl- more pleasant experience. So like the phrase or the adage, you catch more bees with honey than vinegar, there's also others like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And we consider those English proverbs. So they give us some practical sound advice, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily, you know, anything to do with God's wisdom or anything biblical. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of segues us into today's One Single Thought discussion, uh, looking at the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to start by explaining why we chose this topic. So Heather and I, mm-hmm. we alternate and we each choose topics for the podcast. Unless, of course, you all would love to go to ask me ask us anything on my website, rosebooth.net, <laughs> and provide topic ideas, Heather and I come up with these, and we share that responsibility. And this one was one that I chose. And the reason why was every time my mom gave me a Bible, a book, anything that she put us inscription in she always included this as one of the passages of scripture it was one of her favorites and over the past couple of years i have been really praying a lot about trusting the lord but i was praying initially lord i believe help my unbelief Mm -hmm. but then i began to pray through this this passage of scripture about trusting the lord how do i follow him and i would break down each section of the verse and pray through those sections and Heather's going to read it for us in a, mm-hmm. in a little bit but that has that actually started to resonate with me that this taking a deep dive into this passage might be good for the podcast because I think each segment builds on the other one so that being said I'm going to share our one single thought for today what is it it is it's about directions not decisions so what does that mean Well, a lot of people may look at this passage when they read it and feel like it's supposed to be some passage that's going to help us discern God's will. In fact, if you were to Google verses about discerning God's will, this one usually always pops up. Mm -hmm. But we're going to look at it today and really determine that as we take a deep dive into this, is that really what it's saying? And Mm -hmm. so we'll, we'll, we'll get more into that in a moment. But I wanted to start by giving us an overview of the book of Proverbs, at least the section of Proverbs that we're going to be looking at today. So Solomon, which many of you all may have heard about, was a king and he was known as the wisest man in all of Israel and he was considered the head, the wisdom head of Israel. And he wrote thousands of Proverbs, many of which we will see in the book of Proverbs. He's attributed to the majority of of this book. 
And so the opening of Proverbs focuses on gaining wisdom and fearing and revering God. And in chapters 1 through 9, we see 10 speeches from a father to a son. And the father is really teaching the son what does it mean to gain wisdom and what does it mean to fear the Lord. And if we do those things, how that can lead to success. And he also instructs his son that, you know, folly and evil the folly and evilness of life will lead to destruction. Also, in these first nine chapters, there's, there are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Those appear at the end of chapters one and three, and then also chapters eight and nine. Chapter eight specifically follows chapter seven, which is the folly floozy <laughs> chapter. And Lady Wisdom comes back to talk about um, living with godly wisdom. Now, Proverbs isn't just good advice. The English Proverbs we talked about earlier, those are just good Mm -hmm. advice. But Biblical Proverbs isn't just good advice. It's really learning about God's wisdom from previous generations. So we Mm -hmm. see the father teaching the son, and hopefully eventually the son will then teach his son, and so on and so forth. We also need to remember that it's probabilities in the Proverbs, not promises. Mm -hmm. So other parts of Scripture talk about promises that God makes. For example... Honor your father and mother, and your days will be long upon the earth. That's a promise. But Proverbs aren't promises. They're probabilities that if we we walk a life of fearing the Lord and gaining his his wisdom, that we will likely, it will likely lead to success. I'm going to link in our show notes uh, to a video by The Bible Project. Heather, have you ever watched The Bible Project? No, I haven't. So it's a really cool group of people, and they do overviews of probably the majority, if not all, the books of the Bible. And it's very visual, and it's really interesting, and it helps break it down simply for just a layperson. And so I'll put a link in there, and you all can take a look at that if you want to look at the full overview of the book of Proverbs. But I just wanted to kind of give an overview of the section we're going to be looking at today. Mm-hmm. So Heather, why don't you help us see and take a look at the passage and, and where we're going to go with it from here. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And this is the English Standard Version. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So we're going to look at this passage in its larger context, and then focus specifically on verses 5 and 6 and break those down into chunks so we can get a better understanding. So why people mistakenly use this passage, they use it as a formula to discern God's will a lot of times. And not everyone does, but I've heard it used that way. And Rose, you said when you Googled how to know God's will, this came up. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And it's really how you're defining what God's will means. And a lot of times... We're looking for God's will as a way to figure out what what should I do with my life? What kind of decisions should I make? So should I take this career? Or should I buy this car? Should I marry this person? What should I do? And that's when we talk about God's will from a larger, broader definition that most people use. It's They're trying to make a decision and they need direction for it. Another way people look at this, they'll read this passage and think that it means that if I'm trusting in the Lord, then everything's going to go right. He's going to give me everything I ask for. I'm not going to have any problems. And so we really need to understand this passage for what it's really saying. And so that means we need to look at it in context with a larger passage. So if you look back in chapters 1 through 2, We see the father is telling the son to walk in wisdom and avoid destructive behaviors and destructive people, to avoid foolishness and and listen to wisdom. Listen to the lady wisdom who is calling to him to to walk 
in wisdom and not in foolishness. And we know from here, from this passage, that wisdom comes from the Lord. And this is, so this is godly wisdom. And I want to read chapter 2, 6 through 15, just to help us get a little more backbone for what we're looking at in 3, 5 through 6. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in ways. So when we read chapter two here, I just wanted to read that because it shows us the one who follows the Lord, who is seeking his wisdom, is shielded from evil and evildoers. And of course, that's generally speaking. We know that sometimes evil will happen to Christians. But in general, the one who's following the Lord and seeking to trust him, trusting the Lord, seeking his wisdom, they are going to be shielded from evil. And so as we move into chapter 3 and look at verses 5 through 6 specifically, we see a continuance of that thought. So the first part of verse 5 is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. So, okay, what does it mean? What does that mean to trust the Lord with all my heart or with all your heart? So if you look at Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that the heart is more deceitful than anything else. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that I always do a send off that says, don't follow your heart, Mm -hmm. follow God, because we know that our Mm -hmm. heart is deceitful. So how do we do that? How do we trust the Lord fully and trust him with all our heart? So I think first of all, we have to commit to fully trusting the Lord. Heather, don't you think like you Mm -hmm. have to make that commitment to do it in order to really say, hey, I'm going to trust the Lord. We can, it's a lot of, you know, lip service to say right, it. Right, But there's a lot more that's in, involved in that, which is a commitment to say, look, I'm going to trust you fully with my whole heart. And we know that if we look in the Bible and, and Heather read the chapter, a section from the chapter before this chapter mm-hmm. three in Proverbs, if you listen to uh, episode two of our podcast we talked about our one single thought then was context counts here and so we are all about the context with this passage and i think that we both can testify that this was something we we struggled and went back and forth with this week Mm -hmm. but if we look at the bible how the heart is used it's it's used in scripture to describe the control center of your life Mm. We think of the heart when we read that. Well, that means, you know, my heart that's beating in my chest. But really, in biblical terms, the way that that's translated is it was looked at. Your heart is looked at to be the control center of your of your life. We see the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And all those things intertwined together mm-hmm. make up who you are as a person. Your heart, your mind, your soul. So the question I think remains, you know, Heather, how do we trust him wholly? How do we do that? It's hard to do a lot of times because, you know, we live in a fallen world and we're sinners. We're being made more like Christ every day, but it's still really hard. And I think a lot of times it's a mental ascent and you have to to really decide every day, I'm going to get up and I'm going to trust in the Lord for whatever's going to happen. Or if you know that it's going to be a tough day for you, just knowing what's going to come down that, 
I'm going to trust in the Lord with this. I'm not going to give in to panic or fear. And so a lot of times you have to make that mental decision that you're going to trust in the Lord rather than relying on those emotions that can be up and down. I think we think about our heart being very emotional. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the way the Bible describes our heart is really more of the control center. And I would say also sort of encompasses your soul, your heart and mm-hmm. your soul. So I think trusting in Him wholly requires a daily commitment. And that's when I pray each day and I pray through this passage, that's what I'm having to do because every day is a challenge to really trusting in the Lord wholly and completely. Mm-hmm. And so the next part of this passage is do not rely on your own understanding. So when we trust in the Lord with all our hearts, that is mutually exclusive from do not rely on your own understanding. They both can't be true. You can't have both of these going on at the same time. You can't rely on yourself, but then also be trusting in the Lord with all your heart. What does that mean to not rely on your own understanding? My understanding of this section is that going your own way based on your own wisdom. So trusting in yourself, thinking you're fine on your own. So for example, you mentioned from Jeremiah that we should not be trusting our hearts because Mm -hmm. they're, they're sinful. We hear a lot in our culture that we're to just follow our hearts and to go with go with what we think is best for ourselves, that we know ourselves, that we know what's best for ourselves. And that's what we're hearing in the culture right now. But I think what makes that anti-biblical mm-hmm. is that if we really kind of dissect that, what it means to follow your heart, it really is making us God, little G God mm-hmm. in our life. So if we're going to trust in the Lord, we have to respect his authority in our lives as our creator, our our maker, and our leader, basically. Mm -hmm. And when you, we talk about following our hearts, then that's, we're saying, okay, well, I know what's best for me, and I'm going to do that myself. Mm -hmm. Another way this has played out is that you could be going into a situation where you're easily tempted to follow suit with an unbeliever and you're not prepared for that battle against the sin, you'll be facing that temptation. So relying on your own understanding would be going into some situation where you know you're going to be facing something and be like, you know what, I'm strong enough. I can just not do whatever it is that I'm going to be tempted to do. I'm strong enough in my own power to do it. You got this. You got this, which is a phrase that you and I both really hate. (laughs) Yes, we love that statement (laughs) because the bottom line is we don't got this. Yes. Instead, we're not to rely on our own strength. So our own wisdom, thinking we're fine on our own, we're not to do that. If we trust in the Lord, we cannot also depend on our own ability to understand everything God is doing. His plans go far beyond what we can plan for ourselves. So the question is, how do we not rely on our own understanding? I think we have to start, because we've built off of each segment of this passage, it does start with wholly trusting him with our whole heart. And I think we need to put barriers up to where we, when we're praying or when we're looking at situations and circumstances, instead of us going headfirst into something and saying, well, you know, I've got this and I know best what I need and I know best what needs to happen here, that we stop and we pray and we seek God's leadership and whatever it Mm -hmm. might be and that we filter it through 
the lens of, is this something that I am in, am I influencing this too much? Or is this truly what God means in this circumstance or in this situation? And I'm not, I'm going to say, I don't think that's easy. No matter how, you know, advanced of a Christian you feel like you might be in your walk, that's not an easy thing to do, to discern, are we, you know, are we leaning on him? Are we leaning on our, our own understanding? But I think the closer that we walk with the Lord, then the mm-hmm. more that we're going to be able to discern that this is what God means. This is the, the wisdom that he's imparted to me. This is how I should proceed. Or this is how I understand his will for, for the circumstance, the situation. So the next pa- part of this passage is in all your ways, acknowledge him. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we do that? So first of all, I think we need to recognize God as our sole authority And that can be tricky, too, because I think we, as a society and as a culture, have a tough time with submission of any sort. And so if we see God as our sole authority, we have to learn to submit to him in that. I think also we need to go to God first in counsel as we submit to his authority. So I don't know about you, Heather, but Mm -hmm. when I have a problem or struggle, and you can even attest to this because I've said this to you. Yeah. As soon as something happens, I'll run to my friends. Mm Mm-hmm. And say, oh my goodness, this is going on. I don't know what to do. And not spend any time in prayer about it first. So I think we have to go to God first and not leave him as our last resort. Another way to acknowledge him in all our ways is that we honor God in who we are and what we have. So not only do we give him praise and glory for everything Mm -hmm. that we go through and everything we experience, but that goes all the way down to the possessions we have and to, you know, the blessings and all of the things that we have and cannot, you can't be fearful and be grateful at the same time. Mm -hmm. So if we are acknowledging God and giving him praise for who, who we are and what we have and that none of, None of what we have and nothing about who we are would be apart from Christ and apart from God, then it makes it easier for us to acknowledge him in all his Mm -hmm. ways. It's funny, I was listening to a sermon this morning by Levi Lusco, and he was talking about people who amass a lot of money and they you know they're millionaires or you know rich and they can do what they want to do and he was comparing someone who was not a believer to someone who was a believer and how one took their money and just kind of lived off of it and lived on a boat and all this and the mm-hmm. other person who was a believer his family was striving to give 50 percent of what mm-hmm. they make back to the lord whether that be in the local church or other ministries or missions But he said that there are studies that have shown that once you hit $70,000 in income, at that point, no more money is going to make you any more happier. And so when we think about honoring God and who we are and what we have, I think a lot of times we focus on what we don't have Mm -hmm. and who we aren't. We compare ourselves. I mean, social media, I think, contributes to that. We want to have what everybody else has. So I think in acknowledging him in all our ways... We need to look at all the blessings that we have and yes. be almost be like counting our blessings every day because it is because of him that we are even alive and have what we have. What are what are some practical examples of how we can acknowledge God in all our ways, Heather? Well, I just thought of how we conduct ourselves around other people, specifically unbelievers, that we are living in a way that maybe not directly we're not directly speaking it but we 
acknowledge God and how we conduct ourselves in front of them and the things we say and the things that we do not participate in. And this kind of goes back to our corporate America discussion Mm -hmm. last time, but how do we acknowledge God in that and giving him glory for the things that happened? Kind of talking about the blessings in life and all that, but acknowledging God so that we are not pulled down to a path of destruction. No, I think that's good, Heather. I agree. And I think the most practical way I can think of and just in my own life is being willing to thank God for the smallest of things. Mm -hmm. So it could be that I thank God that there's two more strips of paper towels on my roll when I'm here by myself and I can't get to my paper towels. And that sounds really very minor to majority of the people. But think about just the smallest of things. Thanking God for his provision and finding you a good parking space when it's downpouring and raining. Just being willing to give thanks to him and acknowledging that what we have and who we are truly is from him. I'm not great about journaling like I used to be. You were a journaler, weren't you? I did for years and Mm -hmm. it's kind of dwindled. I feel like I wish I could be better at journaling. Mm -hmm. I'm good at writing. I'm just not good at sitting down and journaling on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. But I feel like if I were, and I have done it in the past, and part of that is journaling out gratitude, what I'm grateful for. And if we acknowledge what we're grateful for, we're acknowledging that in light of the fact that God has provided it all. Mm -hmm. I would not be here today apart from God. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's the, the big things and the small things, whether that means I faced death three times and he saved me from that, or whether it's I just dropped something in the middle of the floor and now I've got to figure out how to pick it up and he's helping me do that. Whatever that might be, I think in all our ways, we have to think about thanking God and, and acknowledging him for that. And practically speaking, that helps when you may feel like you don't trust the Lord if you make a conscious effort to acknowledge him in those small things that will help you to have those feelings return even though feelings ebb and flow they come and go and all that but remembering the truth that God has always been there and that God has provided for you before and he's not going to abandon you that he's promised to always be with you I think we forget that in our every day I know for me, I can wake up one morning and think, oh my goodness, I need this. I'm worried about this, 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 and this. And if I just were to stop and say, God, thank you for this, 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 Mm -hmm. and this, then it puts in perspective how he has provided and how he's been there for me and how he is here for me. Even though, like you said, Heather, we don't quote unquote feel like it. Mm-hmm. It's not based on our emotions. It's based on the reality of what he's done in our lives. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the last part of verse six says he will make your path straight. And our path in this verse, it's that's the way we're going, the course, the fortunes of life, that kind of thing. And to look at this properly, to interpret this properly, is that God is going to make our path smooth and straight, free from those dangerous obstacles that are going to come along if we are fully putting our trust in him. So like a shepherd leading a little lamb, the lamb is trusting in the shepherd. The shepherd's gonna protect that sheep, keep him from harm, as long as the lamb is following along the path and trusting in the shepherd. So the question we might have is, what if my path isn't looking very smooth right now? I feel like I'm trusting in the Lord. I don't think I'm doubting the Lord. I've, I really feel like I'm trusting in him, but I'm still experiencing heartache, struggle. There's obstacles in my path. What does this mean? 
Well, for one thing, that could mean that maybe you're not walking very closely with the Lord. That's something you need to evaluate. Or it could just be something that the Lord is allowing you to go through at that point to teach you something, to teach you to trust him even more. So the, the key there is to step back and look at the situation. Is this something that is a direct consequence of my sin? Or is this because the Lord is trying to teach me something? And I really struggled with that mm-hmm. in the last two and a half years of my life, going through what I've been through. I really questioned a lot, Lord, what have I done? Is this... That was always my first question. Is this mm-hmm. something that I'm dealing with due to a consequence? Yeah. And I even got to the point where I was using the scripture that if you're, you know, if your eye oh, yeah. caused you to sin, poke it out. If your arm caused you to sin, cut it off. And I remember laying in the hospital after coming out of ICU and talking to Jaylen about that. And mm-hmm. she was like, no, I don't believe that's what's happening here. Because I had, had just thought, well, you know what? My leg was causing me to sin, so so God made me lose it. <laughs> but she said, no, I don't believe that's the case. I believe that God is allowing you to go through this for a, bit, for a purpose that we don't really understand, but that you, you're going through this for some reason. Mm-hmm. And she, she took me, walked me through that to assure me that it was not due to a sinful, mm-hmm. a sinful lifestyle or a sinful situation, because that's where I went first before I went to, yeah. you know, typically what most people would ask is, well, why me, Lord? Why am I going through this? And, mm-hmm. and I actually started with what, did, what have I done or what am I supposed to be learning that I'm not learning? And sometimes that's not even the case. Sometimes it's just part of God's bigger plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's sometimes you're experiencing the consequences of your sin. Let's use a very ob- yeah. obvious example is yes. if you're promiscuous and you end right. up pregnant. You know, that's exactly. a pretty obvious mm-hmm. consequence of your sin. Yes. Um, and there's grace there. There's forgiveness there for that. And mm-hmm. you don't have to live in condemnation for that. That's happened to you. But there's clear consequences for sin. That's You're going to experience that. And those are clear ramifications for things that you've participated in or things you've done. And it may not be as obvious as, as something like that, but it could be just a really stinky attitude Mm -hmm. that you're just, that you're just grumpy all the time at work and Mm -hmm. you don't get along with people. That could be a lot of that sinful, cynical attitude that's built in Mm -hmm. inside you over time. And so we have to be very careful when we go through difficult situations for one, not just dismissing it because, oh, I'm just going through a hard time, but also not saying this is because of something I've done that I've deserved this. I've got a really funny, it's not funny, but it's uh-huh. kind of a funny example uh-huh. that may not be quite as, you know, significant in consequences as having a baby uh-huh. when you've been promiscuous. But a friend of ours, Chad, is a teacher at a high school in Odom County, and this week, two boys set off the fire alarm, which is really can be, you know, punishable by law because what ends up happening is it triggers Mm -hmm. the fire departments to come. And if it's a false, uh, you know, a false alarm, then there's, they get fined for it and all that stuff. So when they asked the boys what happened, the one boy said, well, I had my hand, I was leaning against the lever of the fire alarm and the other guy came up and knocked my arm and it went off. (laughs) Well, first of all, why do you have your hand on the lever of the fire alarm? Oh, my goodness. So that's a good example of, that's just not smart. Mm -hmm. Either he was lying, which is also, you know, 
rife with consequences or he's just stupid and Mm -hmm. that was a dumb thing but you should expect that's going to happen why are you leaning against the lever of the fire alarm so for things like that like we we reap the consequences Uh of those kind of things and so sometimes our paths aren't smooth because we aren't making wise choices if Mm -hmm. we go back to the decision of following god as our Mm -hmm. lead and this part of verse six talking about god making our path straight this is the verse where people get hung up on oh this is showing me how to determine god's will meaning that if i do these things if i trust the lord then he's going to help me make this decision he's going to make it he's going to audibly speak to me or he's going to write it on a billboard on a very specific decision I have to make in my life. And so the question we really need to ask here is what is God's will according to scripture? What does that really mean when we talk about God's will? Because I think understanding that will help us to understand this passage even better. So we're defining will when we talk about this. We're defining God's will as God's desire. His desires for you as a believer. So when we say, what is God's will for my life? What does God want for my life? And really what God wants for believers, if we look at the New Testament, all the way from the Gospels through the letters, we're seeing there a theme that God is wanting us to become more and more like Christ. His His desire is for us to be saved. So for Christians, we've been saved, we belong to him. And so now his desire for us is to be sanctified. So that means becoming more and more like Christ. And so we see that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, where it says there specifically, it's God's will that you be sanctified. And it's talking about Paul is exhorting that church to abstain from sexual sin. But God wants them to be more and more like his son. And then also in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Paul says to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, becoming more and more like Christ, taking on those characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, those are the things that exemplify a true believer, someone who's truly following the Lord. And so God's will for us is to be more like Him, to worship Him and to bring glory to Him. Heather, do you think that this might be one of the biggest topics our biggest questions and topics people have as Christians, what is God's will for my life? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I pray every day. Not not what is, I don't specifically say your will because mm-hmm. I understand what God's will is according to scripture. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm al- always asking, what do you want with my life? What do you want, want me to do? And I think to understand this correctly is to understand that God has laid out his will for us in scripture. It's very clear what we've, it's very clear what we're called to do, that we are called to follow him initially, but then also to live for him and to bring glory to him and to share the gospel and bring others to him. That is his will for us. So Heather, I think the next question is, I get this and I'm, I'm probably playing a little bit devil's advocate. So we know that God's will is to become more like him, whether that's in holiness mm-hmm. or, you know, through our, through the sanctification, which is kind of a big word, but basically it's what God uses in a believer's life to help them become more like him. I think to just the normal everyday person, they may say, well, that's great, but how do I, how do I figure out what I'm supposed to do in everyday Mm-hmm. discerning God's will in everyday decisions. So like what job should I take? Mm-hmm. Who should I marry? 
what car should I buy? Should I, you know, rent yeah. a home or buy, or, you know, rent an apartment or buy a mm-hmm. home? I mean, we face those kind of questions every day, and we're not going to find those answers in the letter to the Thessalonians, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, as much as I have prayed that, Lord, I've got this whole empty wall in my kitchen you could write on every morning, he doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are some practical ways that we discern God's will for things specifically in our lives? Mm-hmm. Well, we definitely do need to pray about it, mm-hmm. and we do need to be in God's Word because that, even though it may not specifically say buy a Honda or buy a Toyota, <laughs> it does give us guidance on making correct decisions. And so becoming like Christ means obedience to His commands and exhibiting more godly choices in our lives. So to make the correct decision about something that's very specific to your life, the question you'd ask yourself is, does this line up with scripture? Is the decision I'm making, this choice here, does one option or another, would that lead me to sin? Would that lead others to sin? Will this bring glory to God or glory to myself? There's some things you can ask specifically about the decision And then as you continue along that decision-making process, weighing your pros and cons, and just a practical application there, what has better gas mileage, that kind of thing when you're talking (laughs) about cars. So let's use your example, Heather, of whether I should buy a Honda or a Toyota. Yeah. I think when we look at buying a car, I think, you know, if we wanted to say, well, how do we discern God's will in that? Because honestly, whether you buy a Honda or a Toyota, I don't think God has any any reason that one's better than the other. Like, I don't believe that. Hondas are blessed by the Lord more than mm-hmm. Toyotas. What I do believe is if we look at Scripture, Scripture teaches us that to, to be wise stewards of our money. Right. And so we need to look at look at that from our budget and from that perspective. Okay, God has commanded us to be wise stewards of what he's given us. Mm-hmm. And we remember that nothing that we have is of our own earning. God has blessed us with that. So I think we use those basis in scripture to help us determine, okay, do I buy a Honda or a Toyota? And and what's going to be better for my budget? What's going to mm-hmm. be better for the long-term goal that I have to not have debt or to have a car that's not going to cost me more than I can afford? I think that's where God's word filters into those everyday mm-hmm. decisions. And, you know, the, even the bigger the even bigger decisions that you have to make. So what should I do with my career? What should I, should I move to this place or to this place? Should I marry? Should I get married at all? Or should I marry this person? Or should I remain single? Those kind of questions, I think you have to to take a lot of time in prayer and in the word knowing, okay, what does the Lord actually say about these situations? If they, if it says anything at all, because so what, you know, what does it mean to be, to be in a godly marriage. So is this person going to bring glory to God? Is this person following Jesus? Is this person going to be to treat me right? But then also seeking counsel from other people and wisdom from other believers, bouncing things off of people. You know, what do you think about this? Does this sound like a good decision to you? And then just seeing how your life, how the Lord, if you're continually seeking him, how your life will play out. So I'm, I'm using examples from my own life, which I can't think of a specific one right now, but I just know whenever I'm faced with a major decision in my life, I don't make the decision right away. I pray about it, but I also don't feel that I have to struggle with the question of, okay, I'm not praying enough 
or I'm not praying fervently enough, I know that God is going to lead me to the right decision if I am seeking him continually and watching where he's leading me. It's going to be made clear in the right time, in the right moment, which he's always done that for me. I've Mm -hmm. never really struggled. There's been decisions that I had trouble making up my mind about um, or knowing what the Lord wanted me to do about it. But when the time came, it was very clear and I knew, okay, this is the time for me to do X, Y, and Z. And so I went and did it. And I'll share a, a, a statement from one of our other favorite seminary professors, Dr. T.J. Betts, mm-hmm. who teaches at Southern Baptist Seminary along with our pastor, Dr. Bill Cook. Whenever he talks about discerning God's will, he has used this the phrase, God's will is not an Easter egg hunt. He said, God's mm-hmm. not going to put you in your backyard and tell you, oh, you're getting warm, you're getting warm. Oh, now you're cold, you're getting colder. That's not how God operates. God wants to make that very clear to you of what you need to do. But as Heather has said, to discern his will properly, we have to be in constant communication and communion with him. And we can't expect that if we're not walking closely with him, we can't expect that he's going to guide us the way that Heather described, where you pray about something and then when it needs to be made clear, then it is made clear. A couple examples, one not from my life, um, Heather Payne, who used to be a member of Point of Grace, was also a member of our church at one time. And right before she was going to leave Point of Grace, she had been praying that God would, would allow her to know clearly when it was time was to move on. She was a mother, her husband is a pastor, and she needed to, to know, Lord, when it's time for me to move on, let me know because I want to make the right decision. And so she shared this story one time in one of our women's Bible studies, and she said, you know, I prayed about it, but I didn't agonize over it. I just left it to, with the Lord. And one time, Point of Grace, while she was still part of them, were asked to present an award at the CMAs. And while they were preparing to come out to present this award, their manager came in and said, hey, we want you all to begin to do crossover music, to do country mm-hmm. as well as gospel. And Heather had said at that moment, it was clear to her, it was time for me to go. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I didn't have to pray about it. I already had been praying about it. Yeah. And I think that's true in my own life. An example I can share recently is I have been trying to discern whether or not uh, I should participate in a Bible study that's going to start in September. It's not part of our church or anything like that. And I've been (laughs) praying about it. And a good example of why you don't lean on your own understanding, if it were me, I would say, absolutely, I want to do this because... Mm. I feel like Secretariat, who's been in the stable yeah. for two and a half years, yeah. and the the gate has been open, and I'm running like I'm running to win the Triple Crown. But I realize that I can't overcommit to things that's just not good and not healthy. And so I just began to pray, Lord, show me. And over the course of the last two or three weeks, he's made it pretty clear that that's not something I need to commit to. I've got other things in my life that are are other ministries as well as other things going on that I need to focus on more than being a part of this. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of that has to do with exactly what you said, Heather. We have to just pray about it, stay in close communion with the Lord. And when the time comes, he'll make it clear, like Dr. Mm -hmm. Bett said, it won't be like trying to find an Easter egg. Yeah, and I think that does tie us back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It may not 
be telling us that if we trust in the Lord with all our hearts, that he's going to audibly speak to us and say, buy a Honda or buy a Toyota. (laughs) But it does mean that we are going to be walking closely with him to know the right decision to make, whether that decision will bring honor to him or will it bring folly to us? Will it be a sinful decision? Is what we're doing honorable? Will it keep us from destruction? Will it keep us on the right path? And so that's really what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So it's about directions and not decisions. That's right. And I will say this, if you're listening and you think, my word, this, I'm not a, you may, you may not be a follower of Christ and you may be thinking, whoo, this is a lot and this is heavy. It really is a joy to trust in the Lord and follow him. It's a joy to know that he has all our paths clear and straight for us, that he's going to guide us through that. He's going to help us over those rocky times. So Mm -hmm. if anybody's listening and you're not a follower of Christ and you don't really know what that means or, or what that entails, Heather and I would love to share that with you. Just reach out to us through my website, rosebooth.net. You can fill out the contact page or you can go to ask us anything and we would love to share with you what that means um, and understand that fully. All right, with that, it is now time for our random thought for the day. Take it away, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> So, my random thought, my one random thought for today is, hail to the chief. (laughs) Okay, we don't get political on here, so don't worry, we're not about to go down the political. I didn't know what in the world she was going to do, folks. This is a surprise (laughs) to me, too. So, my one random thought, hail to the chief. Did you know that there were five U.S. presidents that were cheerleaders? Like, in their college? Just cheerleaders at their college. I did not know that. So, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, before he contracted polio, he was a cheerleader at Harvard. Dwight D. Eisenhower was a cheerleader at West Point. Ronald Reagan was a cheerleader at Eureka College in Illinois. That's where he went to college. And George H.W. Bush, that would be Daddy Bush, he was a cheerleader at Yale. And then... W, George W. Bush, followed his footsteps and was also a cheerleader. I think I knew W was a a cheerleader at some point. I don't know how I knew that, but I think I knew that. So, those five presidents, which are pretty, I mean, those are pretty significant presidents in our history. Mm -hmm. FDR was the longest serving president. Mm -hmm. Um, Ronald Reagan was the first president I ever voted for, so I feel kind of excited about that. But, anyhow, that... Who knew that all of those guys were all cheerleaders? We don't think about men being cheerleaders, but they are. So, Heather, what's your Ricky thought for today? My thought for today about Ricky is that it's okay if you're not head of the class. Eventually, you'll get there. That's a good one. So, Ricky is progressing through cat school grade two. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is now the weekly or the biweekly saga (laughs) on Ricky is his cat school. We're training him. This one, grade two, is a little harder, so he pa- passed grade one a couple weeks ago. This one's going a little slower because the tasks are getting more challenging, so he- I'm training him to jump over obstacles and to sit Ooh. on the mat. Is he doing it? Is he jumping over he obstacles? He is jumping, but mm. he's it's just been slow, mm-hmm. and he's, he's very lazy. <laughs> 
And when he doesn't want to do something, he'll just lay down on the floor and just kind of look at me like, are you crazy? I'm not doing this. <laughs> so this one's going a little bit slower. And for me, finding that desire for instant gratification, I want this cat that's just going to do all these amazing things right away and just do what I want because I'm giving him treats. Um, <laughs> it's been a little frustrating and he, he's taking a lot longer than I thought. I thought by now he'd at least be a little bit further down the schedule, but he's still at the beginning <laughs> of grade two. But it, it's kind of funny. This cat school has an app. It's kind of like a social network. So other cat owners can post pictures and videos of their cats and doing the training and they can post questions. And the teacher will answer them. And so you can see when a cat passes when it graduates from a certain grade, the teacher will post a picture of the cat with a badge, a virtual badge on it saying, Fluffy Pass Grade 1, mm-hmm. and they'll have the picture and everything. Well, there's a cat on there named Zorro. <laughs> He's black and white and fluffy, really cute. And he passed Grade 2 last week, and I watched his videos. I mean, the, the little cat prances to the lady. It's just the sweetest little cat. But anyway... The teacher posted his badge, his grade two badge, last week. Well, then a few days later, Zora passes the third grade. Oh, my gosh. And I can barely get my cat <laughs> past, like, the, the second task on grade two. And there's, I like, think, 15 tasks on there. I think Zora's cheating. I don't know. I was like, what in the world? I was shocked. How does this cat learn to do all this in a week? Have and you seen his grade three videos, too? Yes, and, and he's, he, doing, he's doing them correctly. I don't know how wow. he's doing it. Maybe it's because I'm a working mom. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The lady that you know, he's homeschooled. The lady that I bet, she, yeah, Zoro's homeschooled. I don't know for sure. <laughs> so I was a little discouraged when I saw that. I was like, my cat is slow. He can't get. He can't get there. And like I said, Ricky's pretty lazy. Like he'll just lay down on me in the middle of it, and I'm you know, like, Ricky, get up. This got to jump over the hurdle. And he doesn't always do it. So um, the last couple of days, though, things are starting to click for him again. So he's, he did start jumping over the obstacle. And I think, you know, I just need to be more patient. So this is just something that with him, he's he's a good student. He's just a little stubborn like, like me. And... <laughs> He's not an AP class student. He's not an AP student. <laughs> and he's probably like a B and C student. But he's getting there. And, um, you know, he's a smart boy. He's just a bit of a slacker. But yes. I just have to be patient. And so, you know, my thought for him is, you know, you're, you're not the head of the class like Zorro is. You're not just flying through these things and going to college early <laughs> like Doogie Howser. But eventually you're going to get there. And you're, you're going to get there, Ricky. So just stick with it, buddy. You're not showing him Zorro's videos going, look at what this cat can do. I know, look at what that cat can do. (laughs) So anyway. That's so funny. (laughs) Poor, poor Ricky. I just envision him flopping in the floor. Like, Oh, it's funny. I've had enough of this. Yeah, it's pretty funny when he does it. Because I'll be intently trying to get him to jump over something or to follow my finger. And he's like, whatever, lady. And just lays down on the floor. Well, from there, we're going to go on to our last segment for today, which is one single question. All right. And this question is always, we try to always relate it to our topic, our one single thought for the day. So our question today is, when was a time you trusted God against your own understanding? And what was the outcome? So Heather, what's, what's your experience there? Well, I had trouble thinking of a specific... So for reading this, these two verses in context, the way we should read them, um, I had trouble thinking of a specific instance where it fit, where I was trusting in the Lord and 
he protected me from harm or that he guided my past in that way. But I did have an analogy that I witnessed. Um, so I, one day I was on a two lane road in this in industrial area and the traffic in my lane had stopped. And I don't know, I can't remember what it was. I think there was a truck backing up into the lane or something, but the track, the traffic had backed up. And so we're all just kind of sitting there for several minutes and the cars who were further back behind me, they were getting impatient. So they started swerving around the rest of us onto the un oncoming traffic lane, which at the time was empty because there wasn't a lot of traffic from the other direction, but they couldn't really see who was coming. Dangerous. Yeah. And so and I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're stopped in traffic and everybody just starts swerving around yes. you on the two lane road. It scares me. Yeah. It's really scary. And so people started slowly doing that and then zooming past everybody else. Well, then I, I was sitting there thinking, okay, maybe, you know, there isn't a lot of traffic coming. I can't really see, but I could kind of inch out and see if there's anybody coming down there. Maybe I should go ahead. Cause I was kind of in a hurry and I was like, well, maybe I should go ahead and try to get around. Well, as soon as I thought that a car comes down behind me coming up down the, coming down the ongoing traffic lane and I'm trying to remember if my memory serves me correctly, they didn't have a head-on collision with a car, but they swerved to avoid it and they had to go into a ditch and it wrecked the car. And it was rel relatively slow. I mean, it wasn't right. like the person in there was okay. Mm -hmm. And they got out immediately and we're all just kind of like, oh, but it was kind of funny because everybody else in the line in front of me who was like starting to inch out to go around, they mm -hmm. all started pulling back into the <laughs> lane because they're like, okay, that's a dumb idea. I'm not going to do that. And so I was really glad in that moment that I had not made that decision to follow the crowd. And, you know, and then the, the wait in traffic really wasn't that much longer after that. We just sat there for a couple more minutes, then it cleared up. So that was a potentially unwise decision that I could have made that would have led to car damage or even worse. And thankfully, I drew from some wisdom that day. Okay, this is not, you can't see what's coming. This is not the right time to do it. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of life analogies you can apply there. But that that is one example I remember from life. And I think about that a lot. I'm like, okay, I'm never doing that. When I see, if I'm on a two-lane road and I can't see what's coming, I'm not just going to swerve out in traffic because of what I witnessed. Yeah. So it taught me a lesson. That's good. So what about you? So I feel like there's a lot of examples I could come up with here, but mm -hmm. I was trying to come up with one that was very impactful to me. So probably about 11 or 12 years ago, the company I worked for as a startup, was, we were acquired by the company that I recently was an employee for. And I've been through acquisitions all through my my career and most of the acquisitions I never made it across the line usually I would get laid off so mm -hmm. but this one I actually did and, and I made it over the line I was staying with the new company and it was really really it was really really tough because you know I had to lay off people that I cared about I had to watch people who I cared about get laid off and then I had to then pick up and lead a team mm -hmm. through this most of which had never been through an acquisition and a layoff at this at this level of significance. And it was a really traumatizing time in a lot of ways, going through so much change and having to adapt to a new company that I had employees coming to me and saying, Rose, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. Is this a good thing? Is this going to be a you know, good experience for us? And, and so I was always trying to stay very upbeat for my team. But I remember during that time, I prayed, I would say almost daily, mm -hmm. 
And I was like, God, why in the world did you save me across this line? Yeah. Why didn't you just let me go, give me a severance package, and I'll be on my mm-hmm. merry way? That is what it all had always happened before. And, you know, I'm like, I don't understand why I was saved. I don't get yeah. it. In retrospect, when I look at it now, I was able to really advance in that company. Mm-hmm. I was able to make the most money I'd ever made in my career. And it's the company that walked with me through this journey of sickness when I get, became sick. Yeah. And, and also the company that retained me when my division was sold so that I could continue on with my disability and my health insurance intact mm-hmm. to get me through this. So when I look at that example, I see that I didn't really have a choice in the matter because I was, mm-hmm. I was saved across the line of acquisition. So I kept my job, but I was questioning God in his actions and saying, why did you do this? Why yeah. didn't you just let me go? Let me get my severance package mm-hmm. and leave. When I should have just trusted God that this was the best thing. And like you yeah. said, you're not going to pull out in traffic again to, because you don't see what's right. coming. You don't know what's coming. I didn't know it was coming. Right. And when I look at it now, it was the best thing that could have ever mm-hmm. happened to me. And I love that company. I will always love that company because they they really helped me grow in my career. They helped, you know, it, it encouraged me to get my MBA. There are a lot of things that I can look back on and say I did because of that experience. But it was not my my choice and my understanding would have not chosen that path. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for today. And in two weeks on August 30th, we're planning to be back with you. We're going to talk about loneliness. Mm. And whether you're single or married, this will apply to anyone. We all struggle with loneliness at times. And I specifically just thinking about being single from our perspective, we deal with loneliness a lot being alone living Mm -hmm. alone unless you live with a cat or plants or Mm -hmm. sea monkeys or whatever (laughs) (laughs) you have Uh, when you have a zz plant i have a zz plant yeah so So even if you have family if you have a spouse and kids it's easy to feel lonely so how do you deal with that in a godly way and what are some practical tips for that and so we're going to look at that in a couple weeks well thanks for joining today and until next time Don't follow your heart, follow God. We hope you've enjoyed One Single Thought. Our theme music is provided by Lindsay Cook, and we're so happy you joined us. Please be sure to share this episode with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. We'd love it if you'd rate and review our podcast so more people can find us and join our tribe of listeners.